1: Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch.
0: $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promo rate for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com.
1: This episode of Canada Land is brought to you by Douglas, a mattress that is trusted by more than 200,000 Canadians from coast to coast to coast. It's a great mattress at a very reasonable price point. It comes with a 20-year warranty and a great deal for our listeners. Douglas is giving you a free sleep bundle with Each mattress purchase, get the sheets, pillows, mattress, and pillow protectors free with your Douglas purchase today. Visit douglas.ca slash CanadaLand to claim this offer. That is douglas.ca slash CanadaLand. Hey, I need you to pay close attention to this message. It is not an ad. This is about CanadaLand, and this is about you. You need to know that the news crisis is about to get a lot worse. You've heard about the layoffs. We're about to have news closures It disappears at the end of the month, and then we will not offer it. We need your support. We need to keep news coverage alive in Canada. Go right now to canadaland.com slash join. And thank you. jennifer gunter is known as twitter's gynecologist and she wants everyone to stop putting rocks in their vaginas no matter what gwyneth paltrow says dr gunter's battle against goop and the wellness industry made her famous but that battle was kind of a shtick yes there might be a shocking number of women who do buy into the idea of vaginal steaming, whatever that is. But that's not really the problem. The real problem is the stubborn way that myths about the vagina have hung on well past the feminist revolution. It's the way we talk about vaginas while refusing to even say the word. And doctors, celebrities, wellness gurus, and even journalists have all played their part in this misinformation. Well, Dr. Gunter fights this misinformation. With her New York Times column, her CBC show, her blog, her advice column, her aforementioned Twitter feed, she has said that she wants to build a media empire to fight this misinformation. But the question remains, can you outsell snake oil charlatans with sound medical information? To spare everybody from having to hear me say vagina many more times, Canada Land senior producer Kasia Mihailovich. Joins Dr. Jen Gunter in our studio in Toronto in a minute. Wait for it. This episode of Canada Land is brought to you by Garrett Woolsey, Stephanie Peltier, Daniel Alksness, Edward Larusik, Anne Hartman, Dennis St. Pierre, Ian Dimmock, and Katie Pedlar.
2: Hi, my name's Katie. I'm a student at Trent University in Peterborough, Ontario. I support Canada land because media literacy is becoming increasingly important and shortcuts contextualizes a lot of Canadian media. Good journalism is worth paying for and I respect the fact that Jesse is no one's darling.
1: This episode is brought to you by the Center for Addiction and Mental Health. Right now, there is an opioid crisis. Right now, there is a mental health crisis. But right now, it is Mental Health Week. And what that means is you can do something about these crises. You can help people. You can help CAMH save lives. They offer treatment with dignity, and they are doing cutting-edge research. I don't know if anybody listening to this is untouched by this crisis. You can see it in the downtown of every city in this country. You certainly feel it in Toronto. This is not something happening to other people. These are our friends. These are our communities, our families. We are all touched by addiction. We are all touched by the mental health crisis and we all share responsibility to do something about it. Helping CAMH is something you can do about it. Help change mental health care forever. Your support will help CAMH build a future where nobody is left behind. Donate at CAMH.ca CanadaLand to help them treat addiction and build hope. This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. at betterhelp.com slash CanadaLand. That's betterhelp.com slash CanadaLand.
0: On your Twitter feed, at Dr. Jen Gunter, you feel fine telling an idiot, (laughs) hurling insults at you to say, fuck off. (gasps) Or another one was, I'm not your research assistant. (laughs) That spoke to a lot of people. Which I think I'll be using from now on. (laughs) Some other greatest hits includes, I am pretty fucking fabulous and a fabulous fucker. So no, it's not me, but thanks for playing. (laughs) Uh, I'll just leave you with the last one. You're lying about OBGYN care. I am the fucking expert. So I get to say that. Have people come for you because of that? Have you had problems interacting with other medical establishments because of that? Because I feel like people do have this dichotomy of like real and professional. And you're trying to create basically a, a trusted brand for women to go to for reliable medical advice while also having a kind of strong personality who's saying what you think. Yeah.
2: So when I first started on Twitter, certainly the older people mostly old dudes, in the medical professional societies, it would accuse me of being unprofessional. And obviously, I don't talk like that to patients in the office. So you're kind of an idiot if that's what you think, right? People crave authenticity. They want to know that the person is is speaking the truth. And I think that one of the best ways for people to know that is for you to be authentically you. And that's how I talk when I'm pissed off. I'm from Winnipeg. What else do you say when it's minus 40? It's fucking cold, right? Like, I don't know. Like, I think... A swear word is not a bad word. Lying about medicine is bad. You know, snake oil is bad. Telling people they should be afraid of toxins, that's unprofessional behavior, right? We have doctors selling supplements. Like, don't tell me I'm unprofessional when there's anti vaccine doctors. It's bad medicine that's unprofessional. And bad medicine includes not listening to people, it includes dismissing people for valid concerns. I mean, bad medicine can encom- encompass a lot of things. Mm-hmm. And I also know that a lot of I've realized that a lot of younger women and and even women my own age tell me that they get a lot of strength from when I like stand up and say fuck no like I'm not going to fucking take that um, because women have been muzzled right right who, who benefits from telling me that I can't talk like that it's not other women it's the patriarchy there's a great part in Jen's throughout the series where you define the patriarchy
0: several times.
2: Patriarchy, a system of society or government in which men hold the power and women are largely excluded from it. So that's kind of how I think about it. Whenever someone tells me I shouldn't talk that way, I always stop and think, okay, well, so who benefits from me not talking that way? Twitter kind of took a
0: turn on you with the promotion of this book. Uh, You said ads for your book were flagged by Twitter because of words like OBGYN and vagina. Your book is called The Vagina Bible. So what happened there, and is it fixed? Well, it,
2: yeah, so it's not fixed. So what happened was my publisher in the States, Kensington, wanted to do promoted tweets and promoted posts on Instagram and Facebook, as publishers do. And uh, they're like, you know, the ads were basically like, check out The Vagina Bible by Dr. Jen Gunter, OBGYN, or everything you need to know about your vagina but we're afraid to ask, or... Yeah, and so I think the majority of those ads were flagged as offensive. Uh, And uh, yeah, and OBGYN was actually one of the words, the acronym. And I'm like, okay, so wait a minute. My whole profession, which is dedicated to caring for women, that's offensive? (laughs) That's more surprising even than vagina. It really is. It really is. And I think it speaks to the fact that I bet in tech there are so few women or any diversity in the room and if you're just a bunch of cis dudes, they're just not going to even think about writing algorithms that, you know, could possibly suggest that it might be normal for a doctor who's writing about the vagina, who's an expert in the vagina, to want to promote that tweet. So it was the algorithm. It wasn't Twitter users. No idea, really. I mean, uh, the response from Twitter didn't really make sense because they said that it was either user error, I mean, which it wasn't because the, the tweets were eventually approved once there was pressure, like when the BBC started calling, Mm -hmm. right, Um, and CNN. So uh, yeah, I I don't know, I think it was kind of one of those non answers. And it's just, you know, interesting that people have pointed out that they've seen promoted tweets from people who are clearly, you know, white supremacists and racists, and that somehow the algorithm flags me, the doctor talking about body parts that I'm trained to talk about. I think that um, there's some interesting conversations probably to be had with the people at Twitter about that. Yeah. And it's so weird because you're
0: such a popular person on Twitter. And the reason you're on Twitter and the reason you have this book is that you're trying to debunk bad science and myths about what I'm going to say women's health. But really, we're talking about people with the vagina or uterus, the bits attached to that. I guess the most basic question is, who is out there dealing in junk science about women's health?
2: Yeah, I mean, it's interesting because junk science comes from everywhere, really. I mean, first of all, there's a lot of myths in medicine. I mean, one of the big um, sad truths is that many things are understudied. And a lot of things that we hold to be true in medicine were just basically written down by some dude in a textbook in 1950. Mm -hmm. And people just kept perpetuating the myth. And because it was only dudes who were, um, you uh, you know, writing this stuff down and none of them ever had the experience of, you know, I guess, you know, wearing the kind of underwear women wear, um, you know, it's like that myth about, you know, white cotton underwear for um, to prevent a yeast infection. You know, if white garments, if white cotton prevented infections, then why wouldn't we tell everybody who has a skin disorder to wear white and cotton clothes, right? There's so many people who are at risk for infections. Why wouldn't we dress them in white cotton clothes? Right. Well, the answer is, if it's only limited to women's underwear, then it has to obviously just be about women's body parts. Yeah. And so, you know, I mean obviously, if you're you have no diversity in medicine, then you're not going to notice that that's so absurd. It's ridiculous. So I think that medicine can promote misinformation, maybe unintentionally, but also many things in medicine are understudied and doctors often have have poor interactions with patients. And so misinformation can come that way, you know, if you're disbelieved in the doctor's office. And then, you know, we've had snake oil forever. It's mm-hmm. not anything new. I mean, uh, so I think that we, we have these gaps in medicine that are very recognizable, and the snake oil peddlers, whether it's the wellness industrial complex, you know, selling you supplements, whether it's somebody selling you bags of herbs on Etsy, um, whether it's an Instagram influencer saying that you shouldn't get cervical cancer screening because there are influencers like that who say that. They say, oh, trust your body. Don't trust science. Uh huh. Yeah. I mean, they are all taking advantage of the gaps. They're not filling the gaps. I guess they're selling something, but why is it so easy for them to sell it? First of all, you know, if you don't have to tell the truth, you can really say anything. You know, if you take the ways that um, wellness talks about products and and put that on other things, you'd say it's ridiculous. Like, wait a minute, I, you want me to buy these supplements that are unproven, untested? So we have regulations that allow that to happen. Uh, you know, we have people that are using science-ish terms that sound so amazing and familiar. And, you know most people who are physicians forget that you know we know all this language. We know what science and what science is, although sometimes it can be even hard for doctors to tell. Mm-hmm. But the average person doesn't have the training we have. And the analogy I would give is if somebody wanted to write a fake um, post about cars, like I know the basic terminology, right? I know that there's like air filters, I know that there's brakes, I know there's pistons, and maybe there's a fuel injection. I don't know, I really know, but I know some of the words. Someone could write something all about cars. Using the few words that most people know, but making stuff up about h- how cars work and what you should do if your car's broken. And I would believe it if it looked like it was a reliable source because I don't know. Mm-hmm. So that's what wellness does. It takes these keywords, and then adds in fear, like toxins, you know, ooh, roaming your body, toxins. Like, they don't even have to tell you what they are. So they use the science-ish language. They use fear, and they also overlap a lot with medical conspiracy theories, right? So Mm. many people who promote wellness are also anti-vax or anti-fluoride or believe that AIDS is a construct of big pharma, right, that AIDS is fake, Cool. Yeah. Cool idea. Right? So there's a lot of, you know, you can laugh and say, oh, wellness is just, you know, if I get soap with charcoal or not, what's the big deal? But many of the people who deal in wellness also deal in those other really destructive myths. Hmm. I mean, I guess
0: the difference with the car analogy is that if you said that about cars and it was wrong, a million men would come correct you on the internet, <laughs> but they don't actually know the first thing about vaginas. So yeah, no yeah. Would correct you about that. Although... I do see them correcting you a lot on Twitter
2: about um, what vaginas are and how they work. It's amazing. Yeah, it does happen, right? Isn't that like the ultimate in mansplaining? Like I'm a female gynecologist who's like one of the world experts on the vagina and vulva. Like that's like what I do. That's what I've done for 25 years. Like I have a clinic dedicated to that, right? Mm -hmm. I wrote a book on it, but you're going to tell, you're going to explain to me like how it works. You know, I wish for every woman to have the same confidence of just an average dude. Yeah. Just an average dude. So often women take defensive positions as soon as someone brings up something that we think that we've that they think we're doing wrong our first things oh my god are we right have i, I have i did i do something wrong Oh, I, I and my position is no i said that because i was confident and uh, so i usually just go right on the offensive and yeah. i want i wish i'd seen that modeled when i was like 12 and 13 and 14 that um that that I had power in my voice and that I'm I'm not going to take any shit from any dude.
0: I wanted to ask how you deal with the problem that I've seen happen a lot. Unfortunately, there's two downsides um, to providing reasonable evidence-based medicine, it feels like. First of all, it's not as profitable as selling people a bunch of stuff that they don't need, which is exactly what Goop does, um, or telling people simplistic shit like kale, quote, blasts belly fat, <laughs> which is what... Dr. Oz does. That's on his website right now. Oh, God. Uh, And relatedly, I guess, lies just sound better. It does sound a lot easier to buy a jade egg to make yourself attractive to your boyfriend than finding a man who actually is going to respect you and your vagina egg less. Yes. So how do you
2: sell just reasonable ideas to people? Well, I'm very committed to having no brand partnerships. So, I, you know, I don't work with any pharmaceutical companies. I get contacted now two to three times a day by, you know, companies on Instagram. Hey, can we send you this stuff? It's like the soft sell. And I'm mm-hmm. like, no, sorry, I'm not interested. I don't want to work with any company that would have any overlap, um, you know, with what I do. I don't work with any company at all, except my publisher and, you know, the New York Times and Dame magazine. So uh, so I'm very committed to that. I don't know how financially sustainable that's going to be. We're going to have to see, like... Uh, if people resonate with the book, and, you know, gosh, in Canada, we're on our fifth printing already, and it's just been out for two weeks and wow. a day, and it debuted at number one on the bestseller list, so that's pretty cool. Um, and so, you know, if Jen's planning takes off and the um, the book takes off, then people have spoken, and then I should be able to sustain it. Uh, if, if selling information isn't enough then I'll probably have to go back to, you know, seeing patients in the office on some kind of regular basis. But I'm fortunate enough, I understand I have the privilege that, um, that I can sustain myself working three days a week at what I'm doing right now. Um, you know, I've been doing this for a long time. And so, um, you know, I so I love doing this. And so I might not be able to do it with the full capacity that I'm doing right now, if I have to go back to work, but I'll still be doing it. I'll still be writing for The Times and I'll still be writing books. I might not be able to put out a TV show every year because um, that, that takes quite a bit of time. But I feel that it's my duty to speak up. And I feel it's the most important act of feminism is to give women accurate information about their bodies. Right. So you're saying you don't
0: necessarily have to be as profitable as, you know, Dr. Oz has wanted to be.
2: I, I couldn't live with myself. I couldn't tell people to drink apple cider vinegar to get advertisers. I couldn't bring the next person on who's who wrote a book that has nothing to do with science, you know, busting belly fat or whatever. I I like I would choke on the first sentence. You know, if someone wants to offer me, you no, know, I couldn't do it for any there's no amount of money. I couldn't do that. I would be embarrassed to tell my kids. Some of these snake oil salesmen, some of these charlatans have books that
0: are hugely read. They have a lot of followers. Um, A lot of people read them. Have would you ever have any interest if you did have a podcast um, where you do have Jen Splaining to have those people on to debate them or try to help debunk their science?
2: No, I mean I think that's the same as having someone who's anti-vaccine on. You know, you elevate them by bringing them on, um, and uh, and so no. And I think that you know, obviously that's. You know, they're making money off of that. And I don't think there's debate in that area. And I wouldn't want to elevate that person. I want to elevate the voices that people need to hear. You know, like um, on explaining I had um, Dr. Lori Brado, who's an amazing sex therapist on. You know, she has this amazing book, Better Sex Through Mindfulness. Like, everybody should know about that book. If you're having libido problems, that's what you should get. You should read that. That's who I want to talk to. I want to talk to all these people doing the cool science and the cool studies that maybe the media doesn't think is so cool, but I do. Right.
0: Do you ever worry about becoming like a character in the media landscape, this like the
2: anti-goop to the goop? Yeah, I do. I mean, I, I mean, I, it is sometimes a little bit discouraging, you know, when you you give a big interview with someone and you talk about a bunch of things and, you know, maybe goop is like 5% and then they label you as the anti-goop doctor. So that's a little bit discouraging. But then I think, well, does it really matter how people find me? Because once people find me, they realize that I'm so much more than that.
0: Yeah, I think you have been on, you know, at first I came to you as like you were on the defensive, you know, Goop would do something, you'd be like, don't put that in there, don't do that. But now with, with everything that you do, you're kind of changing the discourse. So let's just go through a quick list, like what should we be talking about when it comes to vaginas and vaginal health, since you're now more on the offensive and more starting the conversation?
2: I think we should be saying like, let's talk, first of all, let's say the words. Let's not use, like, the JJ and... The vulva's on the... Outside. Outside. And the vagina's on the inside. inside. Yeah, like, um, that, you know, and if anyone who doesn't use those words probably doesn't have your best interests at heart. And I think that we should be talking about, like, what are the health screenings you need and what, you know, how to mechanically have the kind of sex you want to have. Like, we don't often publicly talk about, like, the mechanics of good sex. Like, like, I think people should know that. If your goal is to reduce, like, teenage sex, I think if more young women knew what the mechanics of good sex were, they'd probably actually be less teenage sex because they'd be like... Yeah, you know, that 90 seconds of that's just not... That's not what I read about as being what good sex should be. Let's try something else. Yeah, like, I, I'm going to hold out for, like, a better meal. Um, or I'm going to teach you how to serve me a better meal. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, like, that's empowerment. Um, again, knowledge is empowerment. I just... I keep getting back to the idea that I'm obsessed with, which is informed choice or informed consent. Like, if you want to make a choice with your body, um, you want to decide to do something... The best way to do that is to have accurate information. And then you can decide, do I want to do that? Do I not want to do that?
0: So explain f- from your perspective as a physician what you're seeing journalists
2: do to help spread this junk science around. Yeah. I mean, so a lot of journalists, and I want to be very clear, there are also some amazing journalists who cover this. But, um, you know, I think that we've seen, you know, so many newsrooms now, um don't have science journalists, right? So with all the cutbacks and things, you don't have people that actually have a greater understanding of how to look at scientific literature, right? So I think we have that problem. And journalism is always looking for a story. And there aren't always stories there. And they're always looking for two sides. And there aren't always two sides. Mm. Like, the earth is round. There's no other side. Like, that's the way it is. Vaccines don't cause autism. I don't want to hear an interview from a parent who thinks it does. That's a false equivalence. Hmm. And, you know, we see this a lot, like with, you know, oh, we talked to a woman who loves coffee enemas. I I don't care that you talk to a woman who loves coffee enemas. I'm an expert. They're not helpful. They're going to hurt you. No one recommends it. You can't make it seem like it's a thing. When you talk to people who've tried it and liked it or didn't or, you know, they're giving you the other side. Like, you're not interviewing someone who tried it and was injured, right? Like, that's a public service. Like, this woman tried it. She was injured. That fits exactly with what Dr. Gunter is saying in the science. So... You know, we're giving you this important story. They're, you know, they're using non-experts often as and elevating them to experts. Like, oh, well, this woman who owns a spa says vaginal steaming is good. Okay, well, yeah, I'm a board certified ob and I say it's bad. Like, I, I, you know, that's we a, shouldn't be waiting. These right, things are exactly. Saying. And there's this phenomenon called the illusory truth effect. We all mistake repetition for accuracy. So, you know, if you see all these stories going around about, ooh, this mom is scared about vaccines and autism, or, oh, Gwyneth Paltrow tried vaginal steaming, and then People Magazine pick it up, and Vanity Fair picks it up, and, you know, everybody picks it up, and it makes it on Entertainment Tonight, then that one small lie that was in the Goop newsletter is now everywhere. And then people start to believe it's a thing. We have that issue. And then the other issue we have with journalism is you can have a reporter write the most amazing, balanced, fantastic story. And there's a terrible headline, Hmm. right? And so many people don't read beyond the headline. And by the time you get to the third paragraph, you're like, oh, my gosh, this is like the best story ever. Someone's written on this. Why did you have that horrible first paragraph? Why did you have that like headline? So I think that, you know, there are all those issues that we have to look at as well. Are you thinking of an example? Well, I guess the most, the the biggest one would be the uh, Toronto Star's Gardasil girls, where they, you know, had this big headline about the HPV vaccine, you know, killing and maiming these young women. None of it had been investigated properly. And it was on the front page of the Star, right? And it wasn't until you were on whatever the third page that, you know, you saw the counter evidence from, you know, the experts saying that that was, not the case. And they didn't even do due diligence and explain, you know, the vaccine adverse event reporting system correctly. And so, you know, maybe three of the paragraphs in the story were fine. Those were on the third page. So yeah, I mean, that was tabloid journalism in the biggest print paper in in Canada. And I think that it's very easy for people to fall victim to stories, because when you have someone telling you that they really believe they're injured, that's really hard to not say, wow, there's a story here. But in my mind, the story is, What about all those people preying on those families, offering them infusions, and telling them that vaccines caused this when it's clear it didn't, right? Like, you know, what other conditions do these young women have that are being missed because it's being blamed on something else, right? Like, so there might have been a story there, but it wasn't wasn't that the HPV vaccine is unsafe. Yeah, and how
0: are we going to get to a real diagnosis if all the snake oil is coming up first?
2: Right. I mean, one of the unseen sort of problems of snake oil is many people have real symptoms. And unfortunately, they've been dismissed by medicine. But then they go and they're told it's something like adrenal fatigue, which doesn't exist. And then so they they don't think they need to keep worrying about those symptoms. But maybe they actually do. You know, or we see women who get scared of mammography because of radiation. And you could see how they might get scared because, well, we tell people that radiation is scary. And the guidelines for mammography keep changing. So if doctors can't really like, oh, you know, if doctors can't get their stuff together, you can kind of see how people would think, "Oh, someone's offering me thermography, which they say is safe." And you know, I've, you know, I've seen people who've had breast cancers missed because they've done that. So,
0: yeah. That's real harm. And pap smears changed as well. And I was kind of like, we were doing this every year for so long. Yeah, that's been really hard for many
2: people to accept that you don't need an annual pelvic exam. I know. It's kind exam. of like, just give it to me anyway. Come on. I know. I hear that all the time. I actually you know, had a conversation earlier with someone who was like really, like she thought her doctor was being really bad because she wanted an annual pelvic exam. I'm like, you don't need one. I'm an OB-GYN. I am an ob i do not get an annual pelvic exam. You don't need one.
0: I mean, what you're pointing to is there, there is a real loss of trust between the medical community and particularly women, particularly women of color, particularly women with disabilities, right? Mm -hmm. So as a whole, has a medical community come to terms with the
2: historical treatment of women and the the
0: current treatment of women in medicine? Yeah,
2: I don't think so, not enough anyway. It's clearly not speaking to enough people. You know, I think in Canada, people get that that doctors are generally trying their best, that they're, you know, that they have large patient volumes and, you know, that they're they're working hard, but they also Understand that maybe they haven't been heard, they haven't had everything that they've said taken seriously, that they had to really fight for care. Now, also, you know, we only hear the people who were able to navigate the system really well. Generally, don't talk about it, right? Because we don't talk. So, there also are people navigating the system, but it doesn't matter because if you only have a small percentage of people being disadvantaged by medicine, that's still really important. Um, and I believe it's bigger than a small percentage. I think that there's quite a lot of women who've who've had issues. I think that um, medicine needs to take this more seriously. I think they need to figure out how to integrate um, this kind of training at the beginning and how to really strip away all the layers of the patriarchy, how we talk to people, how we um, expect them to follow our recommendations if we're not talking to them appropriately in ways that they can hear. I also think we have to do a better job in um, teaching doctors how to reach out to the public. you know, the health of the public is our concern. And I think we're seeing lots of young doctors being more vocal that way. But for example, in Ontario, uh, there are, you know, lots of doctors trying to be active on Twitter, trying to pass information along. And uh, we've seen anti-vaccine people file complaints with the College of Physicians and Surgeons of Ontario about their Twitter feeds. So at some point, we also have to say, you know what, doctors are also allowed to talk about evidence-based medicine. So what happens is these anti-vaccine people will see that this doctor might have sworn in a tweet and then they'll report them to the College of Physicians and Surgeons of Ontario. Is that against the Hippocratic oath to swear in a tweet? It's not, but if CPSO (laughs) is... launches an investigation against you that's really scary right, right? so it's a chilling effect yeah it's a chilling and so so how can we so on one hand we're saying doctors you have to speak up more but on the other hand we have these groups that are able to wield power and 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 muzzle doctors for not saying anything bad like I've seen some of the Twitter feeds of, of these doctors that were reported and I'm like a hundred times more like you know uh, you know out there right and here they are just trying to step their toes in the water and getting their hands slapped.
0: The book has a really different feel from other things that you do, like on your Twitter or the New York Times, which just has a lot more personal anecdotes in it. But can you tell me more why you led with the science more
2: than have it be kind of acting as a memoir for you? Yeah, I really wanted women to have a textbook. Like I really, that is exactly what I wanted. I wanted something that they would have on their shelves that they would pull off and they'd say, oh my God, my some dude just said... My labia look gross. What? Let me see what Gunter says about. Wait, half of the labia. She half, says dump him. Yeah, I know. Right. Yeah, <laughs> dump that motherfucker. Um, <laughs> actually, he shouldn't even get to be called a motherfucker. He doesn't. You know, he's just a fucker. mother's are good. Yeah, mothers are good, right? Um, I know, right? So I think that. Um, yeah, I think that I wanted her, you know her to be able to say, wait a minute, half of women are built this way. You're a fucking asshole. Like, wait a minute. Like, don't weaponize my body. My God, he's gorgeous. Um, Or, oh, I see this apple cider vinegar cleanse. What does Gunter say about that? Um, And so I was hoping that women might sit down and kind of read sort of about the first half as sort of like, whoa, I didn't know that. Whoa, I didn't know that. And maybe like the last little bit with all the old wives tales and how to communicate with your doctor. And then the chapters that are more like disease or symptom specific. I thought they'd probably come to those as they needed them. Um, Or they might be interested enough to read through, depending because many women have had those symptoms, bleeding after sex or itch or discharge. And um, and yeah, I really, I really just wanted them to have a reference manual. And uh, so I wanted there to be a lot of science in it, but I also wanted it to be fun because otherwise, you know, you're like... <sighs> Oh, what, what did I read? You know, you've got drool on the paper and you're like, oh, right. God, that's so boring. How am I going to read that? So, yeah. So I wanted it to be fun and accessible and kind of chatty, like, you know, envision your, um, you know, we're sailing to Europe together and we're going to sit on the, the the deck and drink, you know, drink cocktails and talk vaginas all the way. Yeah. Um, and since I have you
0: trapped in my studio, I wanted to ask you on behalf on behalf of myself and my many friends who have felt dismissed at other times by doctors, when they present with, like, pain or something tricky to do with their reproductive organs, um, what can we say to try and get a better outcome for whatever doctor you end up seeing? Because you don't always have—you have a choice, but you, you know, take whoever is there when it comes down to it. You talk about this in your book a little. You even tell a story in your book where you had trouble describing symptoms accurately.
2: Right. I know, and I'm, like, the expert, right? Yeah, what happened there? Yeah, no, I uh, I, had—I had— I woke up with like a horrible pain on on my left side of my vulva, and I was like, "Oh my god, this has to be an abscess. That's the only thing that could cause this amount of pain." And I I actually got myself sugared for the book, so I could sort of describe. You know, I know the difference between sugaring and waxing. Um, and uh, and then I thought, "Oh my god, that's the side I got sugared on. Oh my god, I'm gonna like die from a necrotizing infection from sugaring. Of it's course, gonna be the uh, normal
0: conclusion. Exactly
2: yeah. right. So doctors get panicked too when things happen. I mean, I could just see my New York Times. Obituary, you know, like, like died of vagina, died of the, you know, you know, died of an infection right before the book came out from sugar. Like, can you just imagine? Like, like that was those were my headlines. I was like, oh my poor children, their whole life they're going to be like their mother died from a Wow, You injury. really went there. I really went there. Um, so I understand how people go there. So I, you know, I go to my. Best friend, who's my partner at work, who's also a gynecologist, and I'm like, I have an abscess. And she sits down and she looks. She says, No, you don't. And I, we got, we have a vulva selfie stick, so I get out the selfie stick so I can look at my vulva. Whole thing's beat red. I have an allergic reaction. Clearly. Um, oh, wait a minute. Nobody told my brain that's supposed to itch. Why does it hurt just on one side? I don't know. Sometimes your wiring is just fucked up. And uh, and then I'm like, Oh, once of course the panic of me dying from an abscess had gone, I realized, wait a minute. I got different laundry detergent four days ago. Mm-hmm. Hmm. I wonder if that's why I have an itchy rash. And of course, once she told me that what it was, it started feeling itchy. Because, <laughs> you know, we just our your brain can can rewrite pathways. So pain is really complex. I think that's a really important thing for people to understand. That's why I hope the book gives people language. So if they're seeing a doctor and they're feeling dismissed, they might be able to describe the symptoms better. But also, too, I think it can be really empowering to have facts like a few years ago, uh, I wrote a blog post about why it's totally fine to get an IUD if you've never been pregnant, and even though 20% of OBGYNs don't know that, right? So there's lots of people who are sent away from the doctor saying they can't have an IUD because they've never been pregnant. Wait, sorry, why? Because what they we used say? we used to think that it increased the risk of infertility. It doesn't. That myth was disproven 20 years ago. This isn't like a recent thing. So, but anyway, the myth was disproven. There's no link between IUDs and infertility. So, but here are 20% or so, maybe it's 17% of doctors thinking that it does. So this woman had been reading my blog and had become really empowered. And she went to her doctor and I think she was seeing an older man. So she was thinking, I wonder, you know, just chances are he might be more likely to be in that 20%. She took out a printed copy of my blog. And when he told us she couldn't have the IUD, she slammed it down on the table. And she said, Dr. Jen Gunter says I can have an IUD. And she got it. Oh, my gosh. She printed it out knowing she was going yeah. to have like, to bring the proof. Yeah. So And so I envision like women taking the book to the doctor's office and saying, wait a minute, you just dismissed my pain with sex. And look at here. Dr. Jen Gunter says there's like eight things that can cause pain with sex. How have you worked through all these eight things? Right. You know, and maybe that'll trigger the doctor to be like, oh, my God, I didn't know. i going to run out, read my book, and great. Then maybe they'll be able to offer that. Or maybe that doctor's going to be a douche and they'll be like, well, I'm not going to work you up for that. And at least the patient will know, you know what? I'm getting bad care. Oh, it's so sad that we do
0: need to come armed. What's the most common misconception about vaginas that kind of freaks you out the most?
2: <sighs> well, I would say the one that bothers me the most is the myth that it's dirty and that it needs to be cleaned and prepped for men, because that's really kind of like, again, a core tenet of the patriarchy. And so many other myths come from there. Another one that bothers me immensely is the idea that women who have sex with multiple men, their vaginas are going to stretch out. And I mean, so that's, again, very offensive from a, you know, just a patriarchal oppressive standpoint but if you think about it so you're saying the vagina is going to stretch and become useless like a rubber band okay well then what about a penis every time you have an erection you're stretching it and then it's going flaccid again aren't you going to like run out of erections all of these myths come out women so i think that one about the vagina getting stretched out or getting used is really offensive to me yeah. I love when you say and write, the
0: vagina is a self-cleaning oven. I mean, I don't really know what a self-cleaning oven is, but-
2: They're the greatest inventions in the whole world. I have a self-cleaning oven, both my vagina and my oven in my house. <laughs> so you you flip a switch, and the oven gets up to like seven or 800 degrees, and all the grime that's on there gets cremated into like ash and falls off. Wow. So this is kind of analogous to how the vagina works. exactly. Your vagina just constantly is making discharge that um, is like the coolest thing when people are grossed out by discharge. I'm like, man, discharge is so cool. So um, your vagina has evolved to the top layers of cells shed about every four hours and they hang around in the discharge for a while until they come out. So if you happen to meet some bad bacteria that comes into your vagina, your bad bacteria just sees these cells that are floating around as discharge and sticks to them first as opposed to sticking to the side of the vagina. Oh, but cells are dead so the bacteria gets flushed out it's kind of like advanced super fly paper yeah perfect exactly so you don't need to get in there you don't need to to stop it don't want to scoop out the discharge it's in there people do that oh my yeah and I mean a couple years ago on Instagram women were having um uh underwear challenges where they were showing pictures of their underwear to show there was no discharge as proof that they were like that was better to whom though i don't know but people <laughs> this became a thing this underwear challenge and that's like so predatory and so damaging yeah so there, there are those people
0: and i think i hope that they're kind of an extreme version but we've also had in Ontario for the last several years this political shit show in which sex ed in public schools is being relitigated, mm-hmm. fought over. First, it we went back to the 1998 stuff. And now we've got this new curriculum that seems largely the same as the Kathleen Wynne curriculum, but just move some stuff around. At any rate, what I took away from it is that it's still up for debate. Whether what your genitals are and what they do is like a private thing that's only supposed to be discussed within the family, or it's like a public health issue, and that's something that should be taught in schools. And I think that there's just a very hard line to jump over to be able to talk to the other side on that. So, what are your magic words? What do you say when you're talking, maybe with patients? People, you know, Twitter's its own world. People right. come to you for a certain kind of discourse, mm-hmm. and you can, you can be that person on there. But you're also dealing with patients who come to you who may have completely different beliefs um, regarding their own bodies and how, how they should be governed. How do we talk about that in a way with people who have just, just don't see a lot of this as a tool of the patriarchy?
2: Well, I think that I always get back to the fact that correct information is never harmful. Having facts is never a bad thing. You can only make an informed choice about your body with facts. If you want to make an informed choice to not have sex before marriage, that's great. That's your informed choice. If you want to make an informed choice to, you know, have sex when you're ready for it, that's also great. That's an informed choice. But if you don't have the information, how is it informed? But, yeah, the sex, my, the sex education my kids had was amazing. And they, the, there was so much focus on consent mm-hmm. as well, which was really amazing. Yeah. And at the end, I said to my kids, you know, are you... More likely to want to have sex or less likely? And they said, Well, less likely. This is like, it's no big deal.
0: Right. You know, kids are telling like, me yeah. that learning about penises with your school teacher isn't the sexiest, most erotic experience <laughs> exactly. for
2: children. Yeah. You know, from a professional, from someone who's a professional, right? Like they know how to teach this stuff. So I just, um, I think that starting to have conversations, and I appreciate people come from different backgrounds and maybe. Seeing all these women carrying the book, the vagina Bible around is going to start making lots of people from different backgrounds think. Certainly one person on the streetcar this morning. yeah. Yeah, you had an interaction on the streetcar with the book.: No interaction, just some side eye. Oh really. But yeah, but then people was, then they start thinking about it, right? Like it's just plants the thought. I have this idea that carrying the book around is going to be like the, sort of like an, like a, like an act of, the, you know, act of rebellion against the patriarchy, and people are going to start seeing it that way. <laughs>
1: That is your Canada Land episode. If you liked it, there are things you can do. You can rate it. You can tell a friend about it. You can email me at at Show.com. You can email Kasia at k a s i Show.com, and we will read what you send us. We are on Twitter at Canada Land. Our website is canadalandshow.com. This week on the website, Archie Mann and Jordan Cornish are launching the next season of Commons. They are looking at the powerful families of Canada we do not examine these families nearly enough I'm talking about the Demarets the Rizzutos the Fords the Stronics. we need podcasts about these families well the new season of Commons is called Dynasties and it tells these shocking stories go subscribe to this podcast this episode is produced by Jordan Cornish our managing editor is Kevin Sexton syndication is handled by CFUV 101.9 FM in Victoria visit them online at cfuv.ca If you like this show, if you like what we do every week on this show, on our other shows, on our website, we do it because people support us on Patreon. Please be one of them. Go to patreon.com slash CanadaLand. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter.